Matthew 21, 33 through 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stones that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard this parable, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The word of the Lord. The whole reason he was here was to stop thinking. Stop thinking about it. Other things too, but stop replaying it in his mind. Thinking of things that he could have said, creating a new, stronger version of himself, a cooler, stronger version of himself that would not have been afraid, so scared, so freaking scared, that would have said something like coolly, not cold, maybe even a little amused, that would have disarmed them given them pause, or made them think, we shouldn't mess with this guy. There's no telling what he could do. But here he was. He didn't know how far up the rock face. He didn't want to look down. The fingers on his right hand jammed into a crack, and his left hand holding on, gripping this little protrusion of rock, and his legs spread out way too far to give him any ability to push himself up, to find another hold. He couldn't even see any place else to put his hands or his feet. He couldn't move. He was stuck. He would fall if his strength gave out, die probably. There was nothing but rock below him. There would be no soft landing. But yet, the thing that was running through his mind, was through his whole body, was well, the burning humiliation, that hard, dark feeling of like injustice, what they had done to him, he wasn't doing anything, just walking down the street, thinking of what they had done to him, thinking of what he could do to them in some kind of fantasy chance encounter. He couldn't let it go. He had decided to take this solo trip, to just go into the woods and be, just like be, not in his head or in the past, but be. And he hadn't planned on rock climbing, he thought that he would fish and cook his food and hike and identify the sounds of the wild around him. Let go. 
Let the grace of the wild wash over him, hold him. He hadn't even set up camp. He thought he would go for a quick hike first, begin to clear his mind, to start letting go, letting things go. But things followed him through the woods. And when he saw the rock wall, he thought, I can climb that. It doesn't look too hard, but maybe just hard enough. But even as he started to climb, he kept going back, not just to that incident, but to so many other wrongs, big ones, like Wall Street bankers gambling away people's retirement, or that guy who cut him off on the freeway. He felt his left heel slipping. He twisted it into the rock harder. If ever someone could be in the moment to let the wrongs go, give them up, and be here, now would be the time. He heard thunder way off, and he saw that the sky was darkening. If he didn't do something, get to the top or get back down to the bottom, the rain would wash him off the rock. Matthew is on a rampage, or Matthew's Jesus is on a rampage. Brace yourselves, really. These next two weeks are filled with murder, miserable death, the burning of cities, the outer darkness, and of course, the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. All this seems a little over the top, like Matthew really dislikes these chief priests his Jesus is talking to. These parables, these sets of parables, are against the chief priests, and it's hard to feel right about it in our context or in their assumed original context. I would like to find a way to interpret this week's reading that deconstructs all the violent imagery in it and doesn't so strongly scapegoat one particular group of people. But Matthew leaves very little room for that or any kind of interpretation. Jesus says to the chief priests, this means the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to another people. And then old Matt, just to drive the point home even further, writes, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the parable, they realized he was speaking about them. Okay, so I get it. Matthew, in Matthew's story's world, the Jewish religious leaders are the bad guys. And I'm sure that as a tax collector, Matthew had always been treated as a sinner and a pariah by them. So he was a little bitter. He had some baggage. But this seems to push beyond the pale, even of parable-type justice here, all this violence, murder, death. This parable is so easily misread as a thinly-dressed accusation that God sent his son, Jesus, to the keepers of the covenant, the chief priests, and they killed him. And as a result, God will come and take the covenant away from them and put them into, all to a miserable death and then give the covenant to others. It's clear that Matthew thinks the religious leaders and their system are being overthrown. That I can preach. What I can't preach is this violent judgment. I mean, that, that in the end, this God or this landowner will come and put those tenants to a miserable death because God does not answer the murder of his son with miserable death for its perpetrators, but uses that murder as a means for the reconciliation of all of God's people. And all, that, all this is just wrestling in its assumed original context. It's even harder 
to try and read it in our present context. I mean, who are the chief priests? What good does this parable and its interpretation by Matthew's Jesus do for us? Where is there any good news here? Thank you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there may be a little. There may be a place where you can find some. And I think it's in the rock. I think it's in the rock after, I think you could read the parable and its response this way, maybe. So Jesus asked them after he tells the parable, he asked the chief priests, um, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at harvest time. And then Jesus said to him, have you never read in the scriptures? See, I always read that text before like they got the answer right and Jesus was just agreeing with them. But I think that really the way he responds here, he's, he's chastising them. He's saying, of course, you would read it that way. That's what the law requires. The law requires that if they put these people to death, then the landowner, then they had to pay with their own lives too. But Jesus says, no, no, that's not the right answer. Have you never read in the scriptures that the stone that was rejected became the cornerstone of the whole building? And this was the Lord's doing, and it's amazing in our eyes. I think you can find good news in this rock. So the cornerstone is what? Is Jesus, that's the implication, the son maybe who's killed? And that instead of responding, God responding in some kind of vengeance or some kind of justice that requires death for death, this stone that is rejected becomes a cornerstone for a new way. And in this new way, there is no violent response. He goes on and says, Because of this, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the others who produce good fruit. The chief priests were the keepers of the kingdom. They were the keepers of the covenant. And they had meted out justice harshly and severely. And Jesus is saying, there is a different way to do things now. The kingdom, this new kingdom, looks different. Your system is being overthrown. Then he goes on again and makes another kind of obscure, weird rock reference. He says, there, he says um, the one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. And it will crush anyone on whom it falls. What is this rock? Something like this new commandment? Like Jesus? Is this rock like mercy? That if you throw yourself on it, if you fall on it, then you're broken into pieces. And if this new law, new covenant comes down on you, it smashes you, it crushes you. Either way, you're broken. Yeah, that guy on the freeway. He felt the same dark almost burning in his arms and a hardness in his chest, a squeezing or a flexing, a constricting, 
like with those guys. He, like he hadn't done anything. He was driving, slowed by traffic like everyone else. And this guy behind him is honking his horn like, what did he even want him to do? And then this guy, he pulled out on the shoulder and sped up past him, and then all of a sudden cuts in front of him and hits his brakes. So he hit his brakes too, hard. He was surprised, and the guy was just like right there. His coffee cup came out of the holder and went all over him. His lap, his shirt, an entire cup of hot coffee. It burned. Come on! I mean, like, everyone is in a hurry here, right? Why does this guy think he needs to get somewhere, his need to get somewhere takes precedence over everybody else in the whole world? And some stranger with hot coffee in his lap, well, he's willing to have somebody make that sacrifice so he can get what it needs, whatever it takes. And you know what the worst part was? When he was able to pull up alongside Mr. I'm the most important person in the world, he honked his horn and was going to like gesture like, look what you did to me. And the guy just looked over at him and snarled and gave him the finger. He felt a drop of rain on his forehead and then another. His feet were slipping farther apart. He was almost doing the splits, hanging mostly by the fingers of his right hand. The rain came down steady now. He was in real trouble. The ground below him, solid rock. He thought of his head hitting the sidewalk with the, when two of them shoved him back. And when he tripped, he could not let it go. Even now, still, he thought of tracking them down and doing something, making them feel what he'd felt. Even to see them arrested would do. He had made a police report, but he hadn't heard anything. If they could see him, seeing them arrested, if he could just let go, if there was some grace of the wild that would take it, the dark, the burning, the constriction, the humiliation, the hurt, the anger, the demand for some kind of justice that he carried in his mind that seeped into his body, if he could just let go. Water was running down the face of the rock, the rain much harder now. And then he thought, he thought that he could actually, in this moment, let go. And so he did, just let go. He could feel his body, his mind, relaxing as he fell, a smile involuntarily spreading over his face. He hit the stone at the bottom, something like an electric shock going through his body. He lay there, unable to move, broken.